You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about kingdoms and Christianity. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your hosts of this monthly politics and pop culture podcast. But before we get into the educational portion of the show, we need to tell you about our months. Mm-hmm. And it's been quite a Freaky Friday one, actually. It has. It, Micah? Really, really has. Yes. Yes, this month I went to New York and stayed with Micah's boyfriend, <laughs> which was so much fun. Uh, we had a great time, and I also found an apartment and got a job. Wow. So lots of developments, as promised from last episode. And from November onwards, I will be reporting to you from NYC, which brings us one step closer to our Mike and Yaz reunion. Oh, we're so close. We're like two we're very episodes close. away, potentially. It's for sure happening in 2019. Oh, yeah. With two yeah. episodes left. Um, how- oh, for sure. We can we yeah. can get there. We can get there. How was your October, Micah? Did you go see the Strokes and Interpol? Yeah, or I was about that? to make the exact same joke. I was like, I went to Ireland and like yeah. saw the Strokes and Interpol and the Killers. Um, all, my life. all in one go. Um, yeah, starter pack. Yeah, um, I did not do any of that. I did celebrate Thanksgiving, which was wonderful. Um, I enjoyed lots of fall weather, which I've never truly experienced before I found out. We don't really oh. get the fall in the West Coast. It's never like crisp. I think that's the best word. Right. It's always wet. And is it a bit more evergreen oh, there as so well? Oh, it's so much more evergreen. In terms of colors? Yeah. yeah. Um, so true fall has been fun. Um, other than that's that, fun. so much school and work. So much yeah. school. Have you read anything then if you've been doing lots of I school? Have. I have. Um, I listened to an audiobook, which counts. Oh, um, yes. Tell me so, about it. So uh, my beloved YA author, Sarah Dessen, came out with a new book over the summer. And I finally... And which of her books had you read before? Because I feel you've mentioned her on this podcast, I have, yes, maybe? probably. I've read all of them. So the most recent book is wow. the one I mentioned on this podcast. She comes out with a book like every year. And so therefore, yeah. Speedy. Oh, she's super speedy. Uh, maybe every year and a half, whatever it is. Um, I have mentioned Sarah Dessen before. This new book is like peak Sarah Dessen. Um, it's about what's it called? called? The rest of the story. Okay, rest of yeah. the story. So it's about um, a girl who, um, out of like random circumstances, is spending the summer at the lake with her maternal grandmother and her mom's side of the family. Um, many years after her mom has passed away, and she's kind of cut contact with them um, because of her dad. And it's like drama and whatever ensues. It has all the like classic Sarah Dessen things, which is family drama, a fake out love interest, and a best friend is the love interest the whole time. It's very, it's very classic. classic. It um is not my fave Sarah Dessen book. I can't tell if they're getting worse or I'm getting older. Right. Maybe a, who knows? Because um, I go back and I read the old ones and I still love them. They have but I think it's because I love them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah they have that working in their um, favor. Whatever it was, it brought me joy, and that's what matters. Uh, did you read anything? No, I am gonna be really sucky this month, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pass. I read a couple <laughs> books this month actually, but I didn't really love either of them. So, yeah, come back to me in November. But in the meantime, tell me about things that you watched this month. Um, I've kind of had the opposite of watching. I haven't watched a huge amount. I watched um, season three of The Good Place because it only just came to Canadian Netflix. Oh wow! Okay. Um, yeah, 
very late. But the, uh, the one that's out at the moment is like season five. Season four. Right? I thought it was season four that's out right now. It could be. You're probably right. Yeah. And yeah. that's the and last, the last season. season. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, so season four is out right now, but season three just came to Canadian Netflix. Um, it's great. Um, love me some good place. It's not as good as season one and two, but still great. Mm. Um, I would agree. The other thing I watched – um, yeah, uh, the other thing I watched is Paris, Texas, which oh. is like more of an arty film. Um, I went to uh, like rap theater in Montreal, which has like a bar and restaurant out front. And then all of like you can bring in like all your food and Ooh. drinks into the movie theater itself. So there's like no trash or anything because you like you get a coffee and a mug. And the popcorn they like having bowls and stuff. Nice. So that was really cool. Um, but Paris, Texas is awesome. Um, it's a movie about a man who disappears for around five years until he is found by his brother. And then um, you find out that um, his brother has been raising his son. And you're the whole movie, you're kind of slowly learning about why he left and why his wife left as well. Mm. Um, it's a movie about relationships and losing yourself and family and it's great um another wonderful thing about it is it's filmed in like the 80s um but it has this like great and positive portrayal of a sex worker that isn't degrading and doesn't see her as an inherently horrible person but just like as a person who circumstances led to being in this position mm-hmm. so that was really interesting um overall really great movie super long like two and a half hours or something Ooh, like that okay are you titanic or who do you think you are yeah exactly um but otherwise like if you have two and a half hours to sing into it and maybe are not in a movie theater and in like the comfort of your own bed um it would be comfortable i like wonderful. it i like it um i would take that as a recommendation but i need to stop watching so much because this month <laughs> i watch so much i we do live in the era of fantastic TV, so that is we do the majority of what I watched. Um, I did go see something in the movie theaters. It was in New York. Um, I saw a recording of Fleabag live, and it was incredible. We love Fleabag on this awesome. podcast. Uh, yeah, and this we do. this was amazing. It was um, uh, so it was Phoebe Waller Bridge's one woman show that they recorded, and now they show it in theaters. Yeah. It has a slightly different plot to the first season of the show, but it does have a lot of the same line. So that was kind of cool you know recognizing your favorite little mm-hmm. marks and stuff um but she is such a talent i mean just something as simple as how does she remember the whole script in a one-woman show i mean yeah there's nothing to like vibe against yes when yeah you would normally do that in yeah where are yeah. your cues you know um i just think she's phenomenal so loved that i would definitely recommend i also watched the politician which is a netflix comedy drama by ryan murphy and brad falchuk and they are behind glee and scream queens so it does have like a similar biting irreverent tone um as they do and it's about a wealthy high school senior called peyton who's played by ben platt and he wants to be the president of the united states and so he takes his current high school election very very seriously because he sees it as a stepping stone to you know the ultimate office but unfortunately this ruthless ambition gets him in a fair few pickles um a lot of people didn't like it i know a lot of people complained that they didn't think any of the actors looked like high schoolers because they are legitimately 30 years old but i mean to that i say number one i kind of thought it was maybe a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek jab at 
that being a trope of the genre, you know, there's always mm-hmm. thirty girls playing teenagers. I kind of thought it was, it was being a bit sarcastic. Um, but number two, I mean, if you're going to really complain about that, you're never going to get to enjoy Friday Night Lights and the OC, which in my oh, opinion yeah. are two of the best dramas, teen or otherwise. So, you know, I loved it. I found it very quirky and very funny and zeitgeisty and I adored Ben Platt's musical performances. He is something else. His voice is unreal. Mm-hmm. So I say give it a watch. Uh, I also watched Looking for Alaska, which, Micah, I really was hoping wow. you would have seen. But uh, didn't it come out, like, days ago? the whole thing in one day. It was, like, a, f- a full eight hours of my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. I have been running around and not watching TV. I know. It's a little shameful, days, but so. I did watch it. Uh, it's an adaptation of, mm-hmm. personally, my favorite John Green book. And I'm surprised yeah, it took us so long to get here because – the book came out in like 2005 and we've had adaptations mm-hmm. of almost all of his other work since then. Well, see, if you had been watching oh. him on YouTube, you would know that um, they sold the rights to Paramount like quite early on and then they like stalled the script and the process for this long. And it's just been like a horrible experience of trying to get it made in like different forms, like a movie or otherwise. Yeah. Um, and then finally this happened and then like John is obviously a big part of the production. Of I this. have heard that a lot where people say, oh, the rights got bought, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be made into anything. Yeah. Um, so this is actually a series. His other ones have been adapted into movies like you've probably seen mm-hmm. um, Paper Towns and The Vault in Our Stars. I never remember the name of that for some reason. Tiffios. Oh, yes. We've we've been through the Tiffios drama. If you check out our Freaky Friday episode, you will Mm -hmm. hear Micah telling me what that abbreviation or how that abbreviation is pronounced. But, yeah, this is on Hulu, and it follows a high schooler called Miles Halter, who transfers from a regular old school in Florida to a boarding school in Alabama, where he makes new friends and meets, of course, the very enigmatic Alaska Young. And... Mm -hmm. On that point, I think there previously had been some manic pixie dream girl criticisms of the book. I think you probably know about that, yeah. Micah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think John Green has spoken about it a little bit, and I'm actually going to link to a YouTube video where he discusses that. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think the series did a really good job of making Alaska a fully fleshed out character and had some more complexities uh, than maybe – I think they made them a bit more obvious than the book did. I also feel, yeah. I feel like the manic pixie dream girl thing is like one very reminiscent of the time because the book is like almost twenty years old now, and then yeah, two like very reminiscent of like John Green being like a twenty something. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I think he's tried to address it, and I think he did have different intentions, and it just didn't come across. Yeah, I think Paper Towns is a book trying to apologize for like the character of Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it's more obvious that you have somebody who, like the protagonist or the the female kind of protagonist in that, uh, Margot Ross. Some oh God, we're terrible. Uh, it's I wanted to say Robbie, Robbie but that's it. obviously not right. That's it, Margot. Wait, Ross it's Margot. Margot. Yeah. Yes. Um, she like completely rejects this idea at the end of Paper yes. Town. So I think that was a little bit more clear. Uh, but I think the TV series Looking for Alaska is very clear about that. I also loved the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So the series is set in 2005 and it was made by Josh Schwartz, who is behind the OC. Mm-hmm. So I think 
to see where we're going with the soundtrack. Uh, we have a killer song in the first five minutes. There is uh, like LCD sound system. There's a Franz Ferdinand cover. There's some hives. They do use the exact same spoon song as they used in the OC, which is <laughs> a little weird. And there is a bit where uh, Miles and another character, Lara, actually watch the OC. So he's he's very shameless. Mm-hmm. Um, they also used a stroke song, but I have a little qualm with it in that the show is set in late 2005 and the song didn't come out till early 2006, but that's me being very nerdy. Mm-hmm. So, well, sorry. Uh, I did watch one more thing this month, and to be honest, I have saved the best for last because of the last thing I watched was Succession, which I truly devoured. If you don't know, and I'm really surprised if you don't know because, I mean, I personally feel like I've done a good job of marketing this in real life, yeah. Twitter and Instagram, at Yasmin Lomax, by the way. But it is a series that centers on the Roys, who are this billionaire conglomerate family who own like theme parks and newspapers and production companies and a very Fox News-esque TV station. And at the center of the family is Logan Roy, who's the 80-year-old patriarch, and he's unwilling to give up control of the company they have, which is called Waystar Royco, and his children are very keen to take it from him. And I think it's fascinating for so many reasons. Number one, it's a very compelling drama that doesn't involve, you know, graphic violence or big explosions or you know those those kind of stereotypically dramatic moments that you mm-hmm. see in shows like let's say game of thrones or breaking bad it's all about <laughs> business and if i was to say it right now it would sound very very dry but once you get into the show it's so yeah. compelling i think it's also really interesting because it's hilarious it uses a lot of office style close-ups mm-hmm. and cuts and a lot of awkward moments and pauses that are really really funny And it also makes you absolutely love these characters who are awful people. And, like, I hate saying that because I have been brainwashed and I don't think Mm -hmm. of them as awful people. But on paper, yes, they're Mm -hmm. awful people. They're decadent billionaires and they commit crimes and they do bad things to each other. But (laughs) you end up rooting for them. So I think it's really, really well written. And it also means that I get to share my favorite story potentially ever which is that Micah knows this because I've told everyone in real life at least four times. <laughs> but um, so there's one character in the show called Cousin Greg, who is obviously yes. a cousin and his name is Greg. And he kind of finds his way at the center of the family. Um, but he's like younger and naive and very awkward and nervous and like stumbles over his words. And he's very, very funny. He's personally my favorite character. And I just wouldn't shut up about how great of a character Cousin Greg is. And then when I went to New York, I went to do my usual thing, which is where I get a bagel from Bagel Bob's. And then I go sit on my favorite bench at Washington Square Park. And I went to sit on my favorite bench. But lo and behold, Cousin Greg was sitting on the bench. Uh, No way. Manifestation. The law of attraction is so real it isn't funny like this is very similar to the time i went to buy a bill clinton mug and i ran into actual bill clinton i just think these things are too Mm -hmm. freaky so yeah i saw cousin greg in real life and no one can quite believe it least of all me (laughs) what have you been listening to this month micah um i haven't been listening to anything new but i've been listening to things that are distinctly old Mm -hmm. in that um i have been listening to the pitchfork um 
200 best songs of 2010s, um, which they have conglomerated before the 2010s are over by a couple months, but whatever. Um, it's a really interesting mix of music and it's all so good, um, obviously, uh, and like fits together so well in a weird way. It's very funny. It's been helping me get through grading, so I've loved it. I was actually going to ask what you thought of this list because I think I have somewhat mixed emotions. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do think that they've obviously gone for songs that are really like culturally impactful and like represent key moments or key things that like, you know, there's some Beyonce and some Kendrick Lamar that were very political I think you could yeah. say. Um, I do find I'm just getting sick of these type of lists because it's so obviously one person's uh, opinion or mm-hmm. one person's music well, taste or... I think it's the whole company, like magazine's taste. Like they... Yeah, but you're still coming from yeah. like one point of view, right? And yeah. I think... I mean, I saw a really good tweet and it was like, if I do a search and can't find One Direction on this list, it's a lie. And I think that's fair. <laughs> not just because like I personally love One Direction, but... Like, if we're talking about influence, come on. Surely one of the most influential acts of the 10 years. Yeah. I think it really is about, like, there is a certain amount of gatekeeping within it. Like, what gets to be considered good music. For sure. Um, Like, like we were talking, there's only one Taylor Swift song on it. Yeah. Um, Which isn't my favorite. I don't think is the best. And it's not even from 1989. No. Like to ignore that whole album is very confusing to me. So you're right. I do think it's it's a little biased. And it's biased, but like it might not be the 200 best songs of the 2010s, but it's 200 good. Like all the songs are good. Hmm. Hmm. There aren't bad picks. They're just not all of the music that should be there. We'll make our own one. Mm, Maybe. Um. Maybe not. Um. In I've been listening to some new releases actually. Uh, following on from my succession obsession, Pusha T remixed the opening theme in his song Puppets Succession cool. Remix, and I think you should all give that a listen. It's very fun. Uh, also TV related, I listened to Ben Platt's Politician songs, which are now on Spotify, and he does really beautiful covers of Joni Mitchell's River and Billy Joel's Vienna. So I would thoroughly recommend you give those a listen. Can- can we talk about the tweets about people not knowing about River? As in they didn't think – they thought it was an original song? The, yes. They had no idea who Joni mm, Mitchell rough. was and what River was about. Um, essential song of my childhood. I genuinely believe they named the character River so that they could get Ben Platt to sing that song. And I'm not mad <laughs> about it whatsoever. I'm completely okay mm-hmm. with it. Harry Styles also has a new song that I bloody adore. It's poppier than his previous works. It's almost a little bit Zane-esque, but definitely leans into the the idea of him as a superstar. And he is. I I love it. It's called Lights Up, by the way. I should specify. This month in politics, I thought we would talk about an icon of our time um, because she has become timely again. Um, we're going to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, because I saw recently that she just won the Bergerun Prize. Oh God, I had I had really the Bergerun. Um, Bergerun. Bergerun. That's probably it. We're gonna keep this in because who knows? Um, yes. So she just recently won the Bergerun Prize, which is this news. Is that how did you pronounce it? Bergerun. <laughs> Bergerun. You added an extra N. 
She won a prize. Um, It's this kind of new prize that started in 2016. um, And it's for um, a thinker whose ideas have profoundly shaped the human self-understanding and advancement in a rapidly changing world. Um, The prize is a million bucks. Um, Where does the money come from? It's a foundation. And so um, the last uh, three people who have won the prize have been philosophers. Um, It's run by like philosophers. So Quan Appia, who's like an incredibly famous moral philosopher, is the head of the board. Um, One of my favorite all-time philosophers, Martha Nussbaum, won um, last year. Charles Charles Taylor won one year. So it's always been given to like academic philosophers. But this Mm -hmm. year, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg got it. And um, I think this is a great opportunity to kind of reflect on what she has done because she's kind of, she's this icon of our time, but I don't think a lot of people know about like her origin story. And there have been a few movies about her, but I think some of those movies have been a little bit inaccurate and some people have not liked those movies very much. Um, So are you one of those people? uh, I haven't actually seen it. But I have uh, read many think pieces, uh, so I, okay. I have no judgment on them. But I've heard some mixed reviews. Um, well, why don't you write all these wrongs, Micah, and give us the RBG yes. lowdown? Um, so to begin, she was born in 1933 in Brooklyn, New York, um, to a middle-class Jewish family. Her dad was a merchant. Um, and she had quite a bit of... Wow, a merchant makes it feel like she was born in 1700 yeah, or something. It was 1960. Like, so... The Middle Ages market. Yeah. Um, she had, like, a lot of actually quite tragic things happen in the first couple of years of her life. Her uh, sister died when she was quite young. Um, and then her mother oh. had cancer and died the day before her high school graduation. Oh, my gosh. Really that's awful. But then she went on to Cornell, um, where she met her husband um, and graduated in 1954. Um, and so she got married right after she graduated, had a kid, and then two years later attended Harvard Law. Um, but while she was at Harvard Law, her husband was diagnosed with cancer. And so while trying to complete her degree, oh. she, was help- she had a 14-month-old child and um, a husband who had cancer. He survived. It was all good. Um, when she entered her class right. at Harvard Law, she was only one of nine female students in a class of 500. Um, Whoa. Yeah. It's 50s. And so she talks about often how um, her treatment and the kind of gender bias she felt while at Harvard is one of the things that honed her feminist instincts. Um, she talks a lot about how when she entered law school, it was more for like selfish personal reasons of like wanting to be the best. Um, but through the experience of law school, she actually came to her feminism and to like the more human rights centered law that she became known for afterwards. Um, in her last year of law school, her husband got a job. He's also a lawyer, but he got a job in New York. So she transferred to Columbia, um, and finished her law degree at Columbia and then graduated first in, she tied for first in her class. So had like this amazing um, school career. Um, Despite the fact that she came first in her class uh, at Columbia, she had an incredibly hard time finding work afterwards. Um, She had like 12 interviews at the top law firms. She only got two callbacks, but never got a job. Um, 
she like had obviously articled at places and hadn't got a job there either so um and why it was, was because this? of gender bias and the fact that she was a mother um so right. everyone refused to okay. hire her it was it wasn't until her professor um got like forced one of the um new york uh judges to let him let her clerk for them that she actually got a job um her professor said i won't give you any other names until you consider ruth bader ginsburg because she's amazing and you need to hire her um so she worked in law for two years and then decided that law wasn't she didn't want to find a job with the firm so she worked um she started doing research and actually translated the swedish civil code into english as part of like this um, cross-border legal um, connections that she was trying to foster. So that's super cool. Wow. And then she got a job at Rutgers. Um, and at Rutgers faced quite a bit of discrimination herself. When she got pregnant, she tried to hide it so that people wouldn't know and potentially fire her or not give her tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, she also at Rutgers discovered that her salary was substantially lower than her male colleagues. So she joined an equal pay campaign with the other women teaching at the university and they all received substantial um, increases because they complained about having unfair wages. Very cool. Um, Wow. After teaching at Rutgers, she gets into Manhattan and starts teaching at Columbia um, and is the first female professor at Columbia to earn tenure, which is a big deal. So tenure, if you don't know, is like job security, essentially in academia, you enter into a position and then, um, there's a review process a couple of years in um, and you can secure your job um, or you essentially are fired if you haven't like lived up to the expectations of your post. Kind of intense. So it's a huge deal that she did it. Wow. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So she like continues to work at Columbia. While at Columbia, she founds the Women's Rights Project at the American Civil, Li- Civil Liberties Union or the ACLU. Um, and this is in the 70s. If you cast your mind back to other episodes we've done about um, women's rights in the States, you know that the 70s is a really important time um, in women's rights and kind of the beginning of the women's movement. Um, And this is when um, people decide to get involved, like, through the courts. So this is a really important project, and they have um, many, like, really key um, cases are um, taken on by the ACLU in the specific right, group. Okay. Um, so RBG is famous for her work on gender discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, so this specific type of when women or men are treated differently because of their gender. Um, and this is really important distinction. It's not just the discrimination against women. It's just also yeah. men's cases. And some of her okay. most famous cases are against men. Or um, four men who have been discriminated against because of their sex. So the first kind of two cases that really came onto her radar that show this is that um, one is the case that in the American tax code at the time, single men couldn't be classified as caregivers. So there's no such thing as a a stay-at-home dad in the eyes of the tax code. Um, Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, The other case was that um, the Idaho law... Um, prevent, preferred men to administer estates over women. So if a woman wanted to administer an estate, but like she had a brother, the brother would be chosen before her. And there's nothing you could really do about okay. it. 
Um, so she worked on all these cases and almost all of her, the cases she worked on, she used um, the Equal Protections Clause in the 14th Amendment. And she's, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would argue that she's the reason why the Equal Protections Clause applies to sex and not just to race. Um, she really right. like worked really hard to get that codified into the kind, not codified, but get that into the legal precedent. Um, right. Because if you don't know in the American legal system, how it works is that it's based on legal precedent. So if one, one some yeah. just say something, the next judges have to um, align with that. And it like goes on. And it's really hard to establish yes. that precedent. Um, yeah. So um, she like did everything that had to do with um, gender discrimination because she believed that gender discrimination um, in the law, even if it, on the surface looked like it benefited women really just enforced stereotypes that were harmful to women and men. So, uh, one case that she had Craig V. Boren, um, in Oklahoma, women could buy beer at 18, but men weren't allowed to buy beer until they were 21. The ACLU fought against this law because they thought it was discriminatory against men, but it also perpetrated certain stereotypes about women that were harmful, namely that they, um, uh, like were um, wouldn't abuse alcohol because they were more responsible and um, were like more likely to take care of people and kind of giving men seeing men as more able to make mistakes versus women. Um, right, I see what you mean, like the boys yeah. will be boys sort of thing. So we need to protect the boys, but girls will grow up quicker and. Yeah, they exactly. Can handle it. Um, so during this um, time, she didn't just litigate cases, but she wrote many law review pieces, which kind of influenced how um, the academic legal community understood law. Um, and she also wrote briefs for Supreme Court cases. So um, pieces that were read at the Supreme Court to decide cases. Um, in addition to this, before she even got to be on the Supreme Court, she um, fought six cases in the Supreme Court and won five out of six of them. Wow. So she had quite a good record. Um, so she's being a badass in New York, teaching, taking these cases, writing for Law Review. And in 1980, Jimmy Carter appoints her um, to the U.S. Court of Appeals. And how old would she have been about that time? Um, 1980, she was born in 1933. Um, okay, so she's like late 40s kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and she worked in the Court of Appeals. She does many... She's very active on the Court of Appeals. She continues to try and promote gender equality within the means within the law. Um, she is like vocal in discussions about um, abortion rights, um, and generally just continues what she's been doing before. In 1993, Bill Clinton nominates her to the Supreme Court, and she becomes a Supreme Court justice. Um, mm-hmm. And she fights these kind of key cases. So one of the first ones she um, rules on is um, the U.S. v. Virginia, in which Virginia wouldn't allow women to attend the Virginia Military Institute. And um, she found this to be, she and the rest of the court found this to be discriminatory against women. Um, Mm -hmm. The other kind of incredibly important case that she ruled over, especially if you care about abortion politics, is Whole Woman's Health v. Hurlstead. Um, which is an opinion about the Texas abortion law, um, in which Texas, uh, like this was a John, in a John Oliver piece, um, 
Texas put in all of these laws that made it almost impossible to have an abortion clinic. So, the, like, the room, the hallways had to be a certain um, width, and you had to have a connection to a right, hospital. And so she yeah. – they found that this posed an undue burden on women, um, and that right. was unfair. If you want to listen to her be an entire – like, a complete badass, you can listen to her questioning of the lawyers. Because um, you can listen to all Supreme Court cases online, um, and she's just – awesome and like completely defensible we'll find a link oh, yes, we definitely will. um she um had an interesting i think we like to see her this like awesome like progressive woman but like one thing that i think a lot of some more progressive leaning people are upset with her about especially in this current moment is the fact that she was actually quite good friends with the conservative members of the court so she was very close oh. with Antony Scalia, who passed away um, like four years ago, um, who was appointed um, by a Republican president. I can't remember the president off the top of my head, but he like was a very conservative man, truly believed in like um, a limited interpretation of the um, Constitution and rarely ever voted in favor of women's rights. And yet they were like were very close friends and they bonded over opera. Um, yeah. Hmm. I can, that's almost a little bit like the yes. Ellen DeGeneres, George Bush situation, about. right? But I think in this case, it seems like it makes a lot more sense. Like she has to work with this person. There was no reason that Ellen had to hang out with George Bush. I mean, if this is someone that yes. you have to work with and you know, if you've got goals mm-hmm. that you are trying to achieve, I think there's an argument to be made that getting along with your colleagues is going oh, to yeah. be conducive to that, true. right? I think some people, especially in this current moment, see it as her being friends with someone who, like, doesn't believe in some of the fundamental rights that she believes in and that being Mm -hmm. um, disingenuous, I guess. Um, The other kind of thing about her that's really interesting is that despite the fact that she worked within the women's movement to change the laws. She actually truly believes that major social change won't happen in the courts, but should happen in Congress and legislature. So she like thinks that change can happen within oh. the courts, within the bounds of the law, but like those really big fundamental changes shouldn't happen in the courts, despite the fact that like in American history, things like abortion, um, same-sex marriage have happened through the courts. Yeah. Um, right to birth control also happened through the courts. Um this being said, um, one of the kind of cases that really um, that didn't go her way um, was the letter better led better case, um, which was this woman who wanted okay. um, fair equal pay um, from her from Goodyear Tire, the tire company, and um, but okay. failed to file um, the like application of complaint um and the supreme court like or like within the statute of limitations and so the supreme court said that she didn't deserve to get equal mm-hmm. pay back paid because she hadn't like filled out this bureaucratic form um and so okay. this like uh, ginsburg ruled in her favor but the rest of the court didn't but then um when obama came into power with the lily ledbetter fair pay act um they worked together to bring um fair pay legislation to the federal government so that men and women could receive the same pay, which is great. Um, Other fun facts about her is that 
I don't know if you've noticed this, she wears a special collar over her robes depending on how her opinions on a court case. So if she dissents, she wears a black one. And if she is in the majority approval, she wears like a nice white one. So she can like, isn't that like, I love that. Um, And then of course, um, more recently, she's become a progressive and feminist folk hero. Um, Yes. And there's so many pins on Etsy. So many pins. Um, Because all because someone after the um, uh, Hobby Lobby case the Hobby Lobby case, right. which recognized um, a company's right to not give women birth control as part of their Medicare um, or health care, um, which did not go in RBG's favor. Um, someone on Tumblr called her the no- notorious RBG. I love how this started on Tumblr. Of course. Um, it's very millennial. And so then this has become kind of like a meme. Um, and this is how we all know and love her. Um, she also like became famous for her exercise routine. Oh, I remember um, that. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously in the last couple of years, she's getting quite old and has run into some health issues, which has made people very worried about um, the thing with the Supreme Court is if you die on the bench, then whoever is in power, supposedly, though apparently not in the last four years, gets to um, replace you. And if she dies in the next year, there's a chance that um, Donald Trump will get to replace her on the court. Okay. Uh, okay, scary. so it would be like a Republican president-nominated yes. judge, let's say. Um, so if she had given up her spot when Obama was in power, let's say, he could have appointed someone who yes. was 50, let's yeah. say. So some people argue that she, yeah. while she is wonderful, she really messed up by not stepping down with Obama. Because she, right. I, one assumes she thought Hillary would win and so didn't feel the need to step down. Um, okay. But then Hillary didn't win. And then she had to live for four years and is clearly ill, though, like, surviving, so. Yeah, that is interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that's become, you know, age has become a bit of a question, you know, in the 2020 election. I mean, the top three front runners are all going to be 70-plus-year-old candidates, right? Yeah. Um, And, and, like, some of them them have had heart attacks. Yes. And others have fabulous skincare routines. So, yeah, that's definitely become a question. So I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think she'd step down then if the Democrats won the next election? I assume she would. Okay, Um, interesting. Mostly because she is getting very old. and How old is she? She was born in 1933. That would make her... Oh, math is not our strong Um, suit. 90... 90-ish years old. 86. Okay, right. Yeah, so she's like essentially 90. She's old. Yeah, that is interesting. I think I'm, I might be misquoting here, but I believe somebody asked uh, hmm. Jimmy Carter, who we spoke about recently, if he would run for mm-hmm. president again because he did only do one term. So technically yes. he could be president again. And I believe he said something like, yeah, I Shouldn't think he said something essentially to the fact that the like being president for four years was one of the most tiring and exhausting and like mentally draining and physically mm. draining experiences. And ever. I mean, he's ninety five, so he yeah. probably he, no, 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 I know he won't, but it's fine. But I mean, there's a 
there's like a, a minimum age, right? Which is Yes, thirty five. Okay, thirty five. Okay. And then yeah, I wonder if there would be Wait, this is for president. For I don't know what the minimum age is for judges. Okay. There is a minimum yeah. age for judges. So though. Interesting to see if for either position there would be an upper age limit ever set. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's quite yeah. a modern problem, right? With people being able to live longer. Yes. Um and you do see people starting to retire. Like like yeah. Kennedy retired. Yeah. Um, hence why we have um, Kavanaugh. Um, pause for morning for a second. Um, I guess with that being said, though, that was a really good summation of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's career, Micah. Thank you for that. I feel like I've learned quite a lot. So, from Ruth Bader Ginsburg to another famous R name in our society, Robert Pattinson. Yes, they are on the same level in my mind. Um, a few episodes ago, actually, we discussed the recent Keanu sense, which is a renewed interest in the actor Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the thing is, Keanu's always been pretty well received, right? Yes. There's always been a fair bit of Keanu love around. So, this month, I wanted to dissect our current cultural obsession with Robert Pattinson because he's an actor that you probably had posters of in your teenage bedroom mm-hmm. many years ago, but is now taken very, very seriously and is viewed in a very different yes. light. So I kind of wanted to track how the heck we ended up here and what does it mean? So to give you a bit of a lowdown, Robert Pattinson is a 33-year-old English actor. You probably first saw him as Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which is the fourth movie in the HP franchise. Were you a Cedric Diggory fan, Micah? Was I a Cedric Diggory fan? Um, I like the first guy in the movies. Like, they were getting to that yeah. age where, ooh, someone's when it came in to fill that function. This is true. He was cute. Yeah very cute um but he really exploded when he played edward cullen in the twilight saga of five movies between 2008 and 2012 and i guess that's where we get this negative image of robert pattinson uh beginning because basically twilight was huge so if for some reason you are under (laughs) eight years old and you don't remember twilight or you've just blocked that from your memory uh the movies are basically an adaptation of the best-selling books by stephanie meyer and they essentially followed a teenage girl called bella swan who was played by Kristen Mm -hmm. stewart um she moves to a small town in washington state where she meets and falls in love with edward cullen played by robert pattinson who is a vampire uh that was that was a very dramatic moment in movies where they did that review woods and it was just a very Tell me what I am. Um, line? Yeah, you, you know what I am. Say it out loud. <laughs> okay, yeah, I know quite well. I watched Twilight like two weeks ago, maybe. Uh so but th- this movie's like contributed to a negative image of him for a couple reasons. Number one, the movies were critically yeah. panned. Um I mean they the first one came out I was probably like mm-hmm. twelve and I had read the books and loved the books. And I remember going to the theater and watching the movie and just thinking, this isn't good. And I was 12. (laughs) So grownups really didn't like it. It had quite bad special effects, terrible pacing, poor scripts. Not good. Um, There were also a lot of criticisms about the content. So Bella was seen as this damsel in distress 
character and in the second book slash movie completely crumbles without Edward, which sort of leans into this idea that women yeah. aren't complete without a boyfriend. And Edward and Jacob, who is Bella's other love interest and played by Taylor Lautner, were both very yes. controlling. So there was those two reasons, but there was also the Twihards. Um, and I think they kind of gave it a bit of a, rap, a bad rap. They were obsessive fans <laughs> of the series. I'm not sure why I'm saying they I mean, but we were, we were obsessive fans of the series. To be honest, I never got to the level that a yeah. lot of people did, which was things like, you know, papering their entire bedroom with posters or owning cardboard cutouts. People had uh, tattoos and there were lots of blogs yeah. because it kind of exploded at the same time as that. Like there was one called Twilight Moms because that was the kind of thing about Twilight is that it appealed to a very mm-hmm. big age range. So there was like 14 girls who were into it, but their moms were also very into it. And the town of Forks, Washington had a Twilight tourism boom. Um, I actually went there last year, sort of ironically, but not really. And yes, the entire town is still built around Twilight, you know, from the information center to the menus at restaurants. It's all very mm-hmm. Twilight-centric. And it also gave us Fifty Shades of Grey because that started out as a, as a Twilight fanfic. And I guess at the center of all this was Robert Pattinson. Yes. There was even a 2009 documentary called Rob Sest. I didn't know um, about this. How not? What? Were you were you a Twilight? No. Or what was? No. Okay. Wait, but the first Twilight came out in 2010. Eight. Eight. 2008. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Was that? Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Right. Yeah, so it was 2008 was the first one, and then we had the Rob Sest documentary in 2009 mm-hmm. because he was the reason a lot of people got into yeah. the series, right? They were absolutely infatuated with his character and then by extension him. Uh, so we will link the trailer to this documentary, a uh, bit of a flashback for you. But basically, I think all that combined meant people didn't take him very seriously as an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, he was viewed as this teen heartthrob for a from a piece of work that people didn't think was very good so not great for him but the tide kind of began to turn quite quickly yes. for our Pat as he was known and famously disliked <laughs> another thing he famously disliked was twilight and that's what kind of changed the tide for him so there was a tumblr again tumblr saving the day uh that was called robert pattinson hating twilight and it was basically cataloging all the times where he expressed disdain for the series that made him basically. Uh, so some prize quotes I pulled out. He said, I could never legitimize why a 108 year old guy would want to still be in high school. That's a tame one. Uh, there's another one where he says, the more I read the script, the more I hated this guy. So that's how I played him as a manic depressive who hates himself. Plus a 108 year old virgin. So he's obviously got some issues there. And then there was also the very sarcastic audio yes. commentary that he did on the DVDs, which still resurfaces now. So I think people had a little bit of warmth yeah. to him and that they knew he kind of wasn't taking it very seriously. And I kind of hate to get personal, but I do think his public breakup with Kristen Stewart elicited some sympathy towards him. So he was dating his yes. Twilight co-star and they had the name Rubstem <laughs> and it was very creative. 
they dated for about four years, but it was largely under wraps until she publicly apologized when photos emerged of her making out with the married director of mm-hmm. Snow White and the Huntsman, which she starred in. And uh, fun fact, Trump yes. tweeted about this a lot at the time. He was very against Rob getting back together with Kristen. He really did not think that was a good idea. He was very invested in Rob Sten, like <laughs> we all were in 2012. Uh, but they ended up calling it quits in 2013. So as I said, I like being personal, but I do think that kind of people were a little mm-hmm. bit sympathetic towards him. Uh, and he's, he was very upset about it. So I guess that kind of alludes to the first of the two big factors in his image overhaul and the current our Pat's phase mm-hmm. we're in. Um, which is like, yeah, this public perception of him. And he just seems like a very funny, cool guy. Oh, yeah. Kind of like what I was saying about Keanu Reeves, you know, there's a lot of warmth towards him because he seems like cool. Uh, this goes back as far as uh, 2011, a very iconic moment when he was promoting the movie Water for Elephants, mm-hmm. which I think has been largely on the Today Show. And there's an article in the cut that we will link to that talks about this moment, this very iconic moment. Uh, unfortunately, it involves Matt Lauer, <laughs> so that sucks. But basically, the article says, Matt Lauer opened the interview about the circus-themed movie by asking if Pattinson ever dreamed of running away to the circus. No, Pattinson responded. He did not. The first time I went to see the circus, somebody died, Pattinson said. One of the clowns died. Oh and basically, he told a very elaborate story about a clown car catching on fire and like exploding yes. and the clown dying. And everyone was like, what? what the heck? But he really stood by it until he did admit later on that he just kind of panicked and he didn't really know what to say. And he just thought it would be boring to say he hadn't been to the circus before. So he made up a story about a clown dying. Which is just kind of hilarious. Gosh. Uh, But there's a recent GQ article called Robert Pattinson's Viral Moments Ranked. And it does exactly what it says on the tin. It ranks his viral moments. And there are many Mm. of them, dear reader. Some personal highlights. uh, When he was making disgusted faces while drinking a healthy smoothie slash milkshake. Mm -hmm. Uh, When he was asked what his favorite chick flick was and he said (laughs) chicken run. At the time, he had a stalker, but he said he was so bored and lonely that he went to hang out with the stalker and then ended up scaring her off by complaining so much about his his sad, sad life. Um, And then the current phase we're at, which is the Dior commercial he was recently in, in which he makes out with the model Camille Rowe in an elevator. I'm like, really goes like quite handsy on the neck. He's a vampire. Um, Hmm. I don't know. I feel like he was um, but basically there's a lot of memes about that on Twitter and it's very funny. So seems like a cool guy. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how we got here. But also he has amassed some critical acclaim since his Twilight days and people are taking him quite seriously. So he's been in lots of lots of indie movies and then has kind of made a return to things you probably have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so example he's just starring now in the lighthouse um which is a movie that is being very well received one reviewer peter bradshaw described robinson's robert pattinson's performance as mesmeric and a sledgehammer punch which just gets better and better another called gregory elwood said that his performance is so transformative it's jarring you simply never thought he had it in him so critics now think he's very talented uh and he's also gonna be in batman so he kind of will appeal to the masses yes. in that way 
very excited about that Batman actually because Zoe Kravitz is going to be Catwoman and she is just she's so stunning. Her face makes me cry and gives me low <laughs> self esteem. But I love the movie. So that's kind of where we are. That's how we got here. But I kind of wanted to talk about like what what does it mean? And I think one of the big things we can take away from this is that Robert Pattinson has finally escaped his yes. iconic role. In my opinion, he's not just Edward Cullen anymore. What do you think, Micah? Could you just comfortably call him Edward? I mean, not Edward. <laughs> Could you comfortably call him Robert Pattinson and will people know who you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think it's a difficult thing to do, especially if you play the role for a long time, like maybe in a franchise. So, you know, a lot of the Friends characters are always going to be Ross yeah. and Chandler, right? So we have people like Daniel Radcliffe and Elijah Wood and Tobey Maguire, who are always going to be known from Harry mm-hmm. Potter and Lord of the Rings yeah. and Spider-Man, right? But maybe someone like Andrew Garfield, who didn't play Spider-Man for so long. Yeah, I wouldn't see him as Spider-Man, but yes. No, no. And I think especially because their work is so different. So I think like one factor in escaping is escaping it is slow and steady wins the race you know how they say with like a breakup it takes you like half the time of a relationship to get over it i wonder if there's like a similar rule for this like if you've played edward cullen for four years does it take six to Mm -hmm. escape it is that the is that the race that we're going by because you know daniel radcliffe played harry potter a lot longer so maybe it's just going to take him longer and that's why he's not there yet um but also it's i think people need to do it very tactfully because there's definitely like some negative public perception when people try to switch too quickly so like we were saying with andrew garfield you know he just kind of like consistently did these very like serious indie movies but you get a bit of backlash when daniel radcliffe is naked with a horse Mm -hmm. on broadway or when miley cyrus did the Vanity Fair photo shoot with Annie Leibovitz and was just wearing a sheet when she was like 15, you know, it was, it felt a mm-hmm. little too sudden for these, for these switches. Uh, so I think Robert Pattinson has kind of gone about it the right way. I mean, Twilight finished seven years ago and now we're finally thinking of him as not Edward Cullen, but he's really been mm-hmm. plugging away at this, you know, he didn't just do something drastically different the very next day. I also think this brings up the question of, did teenage girls have it right all along? Could we see a talent that no mm-hmm. one else could see? And I think someone who summed this up very eloquently is Harry Styles, uh, who you will know from the sugary boy band One Direction, but is now taken so seriously by critics. I mean, mm-hmm. he's like a Rolling Stone darling, right? And all like grown-up serious music writers really rate him. And he did an interview with Rolling Stone, aforementioned, in 2017. It's actually by uh, Cameron Crowe, who uh, did Almost Famous, and it was kind of an mm-hmm. autobiographical story because he was, like, the character in Almost Famous, a young writer. Um, but an excerpt is as follows. Styles is aware that his largest audience so far has been young, often teenage women. Asked if he spends pressure-filled evenings worried about proving credibility to an older crowd, Styles grows animated. Who's to say that young girls who like pop music, short for popular, right, have worse musical taste than a 30-year-old hipster guy? That's not up to you to say. Music is something that's always changing. There's no goalpost. Young girls like the Beatles. You're going to tell me they're not serious? How can you say young girls don't get it? They're our future. Our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents. They kind of keep the world going. 
And teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you and they they tell you, which is sick. Mm-hmm. And I think Harry Styles is very right about that, right? Like, I mean, he's an example of it. As oh, yeah. he mentioned, the Beatles are kind of an example, right? They were the original boy band and had to stop touring because girls kept screaming, but are beloved by yeah. older, serious rock men. Um, so I'm kind of wondering... Do you think Twilight fans saw something that everyone else couldn't because they were blinded by cool? It's not just Robert Pattinson. Kristen Stewart is also an amazing actress. Like, she's so good. Right? Yeah. One problem with the argument there is that, like, I don't think Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart were, like, particularly good actors in Twilight. Yeah, I don't think the movie gave Mm -hmm. them the opportunity to be good. Um but yes. yeah, they're both very talented. So I wonder if there was just something mm-hmm. that we saw that no one else wanted to see. And then it kind of got me thinking, yeah. like, who's next, you know? I mean, I'm tr- trying to think. There's obviously no current Twilight. I mean, maybe the most, like, the closest thing to that is, like, mm, yes, the K-pop, I guess. Yeah? Or... You know, there's all this, like, derision around YouTubers, but could Mm -hmm. one of them be the next big movie star? I mean, maybe, you know, we talked a little bit about gatekeepers before. Maybe there's just too much, like, bias and cool and that we need to all be a little bit more open-minded because in seven years' time, maybe somebody from, like, YouTube or, like, a K-pop boy band is going to be very, very serious. Who knows? Who knows? Though... I think we could all tell from the beginning Harry Styles sure. was going to be a star, right? I think that was... <laughs> no. I at least sure. see it. You don't believe it. Micah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Micah. There we are. Yes. Gosh. We'll agree to disagree on that, but I hope my Robert Pattinson uh, historiography has been helpful and that maybe it's got you thinking a little bit about how people can break away from their iconic roles and how maybe we should be a little bit more open-minded about the stars of the future. Alrighty then, that is another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad done for this month. Micah, what are you going to be doing before we reach the listeners' ear holes again? This is a good question. School. Once again, Micah, Micah, Micah. I know. It's like it doesn't end. I mean, yeah, you have to work in semesters, yes. right? So, yeah, exactly. Well, you you get to have all the excitement for us. In yes, November. I have to uh, move house and start a new job. So, I'm excited yeah. to tell you all about that. Uh, if you want to follow along on Instagram and Twitter, I am at Yasmin Lomax. Um, I'm at Miss Clearwater. Yep, she's now active on the Twitter, kind of. Um, but if you want to talk about the show or see some really funny and relevant memes and fun pictures you should follow our instagram which is at dtcbs podcast that is at dtcbs podcast and we're very funny if i do say so myself yes. mm-hmm. so until next time bye bye